Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Today we are continuing our captivity series, like I said, and I have been super interested in reading stories about captivity lately. Maybe it's because uh, my garage feels like a jail cell. Uh, Maybe it's because we've all been shut in and shut down over the past few months. Um, But what's really interesting is uh, I came across these stories of uh, a place called the Hanoi Hilton. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It was actually during the Vietnam War, and it was one of the worst POW camps that we know of, uh, really, I think, in the history of war. There were just some true atrocities that were committed there. And there was a group of POWs uh, who banded together, who were working together, and who survived and even thrived through this terrible and awful situation. Uh, there was like terrible, terrible stuff going on, so just some, some sort of highlights, or maybe lowlights, if you will. There was a guy who was made to sleep in a four-foot trench for 34 days straight. One guy was made to kneel on gravel for like hours. Uh, One guy was tied up and then he was like covered in gasoline so much that the rope that he was tied with actually like fused to his skin. I know not the most beautiful Mother's Day uh, picture that you've ever heard of, but it was just really, really rough. And one day, uh, fairly early on in this process, there's a guy named Lieutenant Commander Bob Schumacher. And uh, he's sort of seeing all this going down and experiencing it, and he's recognizing that they're about to even like further isolate them and put them in solitary confinement. And he sees another soldier, somebody that he has never met before in his life, standing outside of his cell. And so uh, he sees him come by, I guess, at the same time every day. And so he scribbles a note out on toilet paper and somehow like gets it out of his cell so that this other soldier can read it. And he says, uh, let's see, what does he say? He says, welcome to the Hanoi Hilton. Uh, scratch yourself if you get this. And the very next day, the soldier comes back, and he is scratching himself furiously because it was like the only way they could communicate without their captors really catching on to it. And from then on, uh, there began a group of 11 prisoners who became sort of connected with one another and who became some of the greatest subversives in the camp trying to work to free the other prisoners or get themselves out or do whatever they can. Um, so, uh, they had multiple ways to, to be able to communicate with each other. They had to develop new things as they would shut them down in different ways. And so they created some sort of a tap code that they would use. Sometimes they would use hand signals underneath doors or something like that. It was really, really intricate and amazing and really a testament to the power of the human spirit. I mean, this was over the course of years and so many of their fellow soldiers, uh, died. So many of them took deals, uh, to try and get out. So many of them just Uh, just didn't make it through that, even committing suicide. But these 11 soldiers particularly all found ways to to really band together and survive this whole thing just by finding the the ability to communicate. It was astounding. And if you look at their lives, these 11 guys, they go on to do amazing things after they get released from captivity. Some of them were congressmen and senators. One even ran for vice president. I mean, it's just astounding how you could go from like the worst possible captivity and torture and situation imaginable to being able to come out of that and to still live some sort of, you know, productive or successful, whatever that means, kind of life, right? And I think it all comes down to the ability to communicate. The fact that even though they were in captivity, even though they were isolated, they were still able to 
communicate and encourage with one, one another and hear truth from one another when they're, you know, wrapped up in all of this stuff. I mean, half of their stuff, it's funny when you read about, like, what they were talking about. They weren't, like, you know, uh, tapping out secret codes to, to trick their captors all the time. A lot of times it was just asking, how are you doing? They would encourage each other. Uh, they would do the Pledge of Allegiance together. They'd even have, like, a collective prayer time and sort of, like, set a time for that. I mean, it's just truly astounding. And I think hearing that voice from the outside when you're in captivity, when you're trapped in a cell, is so crucially important. It actually uh, fits in pretty well with our story today. So in our story today, uh, there's a guy named Jeremiah, and he is writing to the captives in Babylon. He's actually writing from Jerusalem to Babylon to the people of God who are in captivity there. Now, if you remember from last week, uh, we're really focusing on this biblical time period uh, called the Babylonian captivity uh, the people of God were conquered and then shipped off to this foreign enemy soil, uh, this place where their evil captors lived, this place, this godless place, uh, taken away from the promised land where God had taken them and taken to somewhere that, you know, in a lot of ways felt like it was even outside of God's purview. And there they were held in captive. And so uh, God sends a prophet, as he often does. When things are messed up, when things are not going right, he sends someone to tell them his will. And a lot of times we think of uh, prophets as being people who are telling the future, and that is true, but also uh, prophets are sort of more of this mix of foretelling or telling the future and forthtelling, sort of speaking forth from God, sending the people of God a message from God, which is exactly what Jeremiah is doing today. He's speaking on God's behalf and writing from Jerusalem to the captives in Babylon. This is what he says in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now, do you fully appreciate the significance of what he's saying here and who he's saying it to? These were God's people. They were taken into captivity. They were taken from God's promised land and taken off to a foreign soil. This place was kind of like the pinnacle of evil and godlessness and idolatry in the world. Like imagine uh, if tomorrow North Korea attacked and their solution to sort of keeping America in track was like shipping a bunch of us off to Pyongyang, right? And you're living under North Korean rule. And then this guy from Washington sends you a letter. Now, uh, I think in that moment, from that letter, you'd be expecting some sort of hope or some sort of recovery plan or some sort of like, you know, secret tactic or language so that you could subvert the enemy. But instead, this guy tells you, hey, settle in, build houses, marry into North Korean families, plant vineyards, uh, plant gardens that are going to produce fruit, uh, seek the welfare of the city that you're in. No doubt they had to think that uh, Jeremiah was crazy for saying this. But even more, Jeremiah is saying to them, hey, settle into this. Do something that will last, right? Like building houses, that's like a generational kind of thing. Uh, planting gardens, that's like you're not thinking anything short term because you are actually putting seeds in the ground with the hope that they will sprout up later on. 
Jeremiah is saying, hey, you should actually lean into this. And even more than that, he says, I know that this is an evil season. I know this is like problematic, or he doesn't say that, I guess, but it's sort of implied. He knows who he's writing to. And he says, even so, seek the welfare of the city where God has put you. Pray to God. The same God who, you know, tried to put you in the promised land, but then you lost that, and then here you are in captivity. Pray to that God for Babylon. Pray to him for Babylon, on Babylon's behalf. That's kind of crazy, right? I think what it means for us today, too, like if, if God is that same God who's God over the Israelites in Babylon, and if he's the same God that spoke to Jeremiah to tell him to send them this letter, I think it shows us that in our captivity, in our own time of being sort of under this COVID uh, pandemic, in our own time of, of being isolated and separated from one another, I think it actually has some lessons for us today as well. I think we need to think of ourselves as seek-the-welfare kind of people, right? Uh, I, I know we've like officially stepped into the next phase of this thing here in Denver in the, the safer-at-home phase, and so some things are starting to open up. Uh, we can meet in gatherings of less than 10 people. Uh, we can all finally go get haircuts, although I kind of think Sarah's doing a great job, and we might stick with it. I don't really know. Uh, but there are still tons of limitations. It still feels like we are still held in some sort of a captive state. And we're not yet free, right? I mean, uh, there are still millions of things that we can't do. Restaurants are not opened up. Uh, we as well are still going to be doing video gatherings uh, for the, at least the rest of May. We don't really know how much longer, so churches haven't really opened up in a full capacity yet. There's still tons of limitations. It's not the time, really, to be, you know pushing against authorities and, you know, running around licking strangers or, or whatever else that, you know, you've been limited from doing. It's still a time for being sort of held back, for being restrictive, for still being captive in some sense. And I think instead of having the idea of like frustration or, you know, rage or uh, whatever it may be that you're sort of going through, I think the idea that, uh, or at least the biblical posture that we can take towards this situation is being a seek the welfare kind of person, being the people of God who are seeking the welfare of those around us. Here's been something that I've been trying to ask myself, because we're all making, you know, exceptions, we're all having to make decisions, we're all trying to decide to what degree we sort of follow these things, and I'm not advocating for, like, breaking definitely any laws and definitely not any, uh, any sort of, even, like, government mandates. I think uh, the mayor and the governor are doing a great job to sort of uh, keep us safe and set, you know, manageable rules for us, and yet uh, we're all sort of having to decide, you know, when do we go out and do this thing? When do we, uh, how often do we engage in this? Who do we talk to? How do we engage? All of those things. And I've noticed uh, that it's been really helpful for me to be able to ask myself when I'm wanting to do something, especially if it's something that may like fudge, you know, the guidelines or something like that. I have to ask myself, uh, now that we're beginning to open up, like, what am I using my freedom for? Like, what exactly am I doing with this ability, this privilege even that I've been given? Because, you know, for me, I'm a young guy, uh, healthy-ish. I, I guess I should say young-ish, healthy-ish now. I'm going to put an ish behind everything. But still, like, you know, for me, uh, coronavirus doesn't seem like a, a, this grand immediate threat. And so there's this temptation I have to just sort of go out and do whatever I want, right? Now I'm just processing all of this in front of you guys in the camera. I'm sorry about that. 
But here's what I've decided to start asking myself, and I think it's going to become more and more important as we go along, is who am I using my freedom, my privilege, uh, my abilities for? Am I using it for myself? Am I seeking my own welfare? And I think if, if God wanted the Israelites to do this in Babylon, he would have, through Jeremiah, said, hey, uh, make sure you tell the Israelites to not talk to any Babylonians, uh, tell them to only cluster in groups of themselves, uh, tell them to just use sleeping bags and not beds because I'm going to be coming to get them real soon. But instead, he says the exact opposite of all of that. And he actually says, that uh, you have been placed there for a reason, and you're going to be seeking the welfare of those around you. So for us, I think there's really like two options. We can think about ourselves, we can think short-term, we can think about just getting by during this time, of just surviving by whatever means necessary, whatever kind of you know self-care and treat yourself that you need to do to be able to sort of you know keep your head down through this season. Or you can seek the welfare of those around you. You can look for opportunities to serve your community in whatever capacity that looks like. Maybe you can make those less than 10 people that you're allowed to now meet with be people that you can talk to about the gospel. Maybe it's a group of guys or men or women or whatever that looks like for you who are gathering together to study scripture. Maybe you're using those 10 people as like an opportunity to say to your neighbors like, hey, we're right next door to each other. Why don't we share a meal or even, you know, share a meal over a fence or something like that? Uh, there's millions of creative ways that I'm sure that God is leading us in this whole thing to be able to still serve. This week, as a church, we're actually serving our friends at Hope in Our City. In fact, we're going through this whole thing called uh, Make Someone's May, and so I just want to invite you to, in whatever way, in whatever capacity, and Danielle's going to sort of head that up for us so you can reach out to her, to be able to think, like, what would it look like to seek the welfare of a community, the community that Hope in Our City serves, that's right next to ours, uh, who may be in need, who may be uh, in need of the good news of Jesus Christ, who may be in need of jobs or of uh, food or whatever that may be. And you may be the person that God has placed here for the welfare of that other person who's in need. What's interesting is, in this time of captivity, we, it's easy to get stuck it's easy to be in just an echo chamber of our own minds. It's easy to be held captive by all the things that we're frustrated by, uh, maybe by a, a sin that we can't seem to shake that's been popping up lately. Uh, maybe we're in captive, sort of, or in captivity by our own selves, right? It's all just right here stuck in our minds by fear or control or whatever that is for you. I don't even really know, and I, I won't pretend to. But what's amazing is the world says what you need to do is dive deeper into yourself, that the answer is there, that you can find it, that you can be strong enough, or you can be smart enough, or even, you know, the other side, you can be vulnerable enough, or you can be open enough. But what's interesting is very often scripture says something that's quite the opposite. It says that the answer is not inside yourself at all, at all. But the answer is actually in Jesus Christ. The answer is actually in the God of the universe who loves you. And what does he tell you to do? He says that Christianity is not about you. And he says that very oftentimes when you're trying to find life, when you're digging deeper into yourself to find that, you know, that life that you're looking for, it's not going to be there. It's actually going to be in other people. That actually Christians are called to find life and even seek the welfare of their city so that in other people, so that they might find it themselves. Jeremiah says it this way in this verse. He says, for in its welfare, the city, this evil city in Babylon's welfare, you will find your welfare. 
Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love God and love others. He also says that what you do to serve the least of these, you have actually done unto me. See, there's this weird backwards thing going on in Christianity where uh, you have the option to either just get so concerned about yourself and try and do everything for yourself, and that's going to lead you to being dissatisfied anyway. Or you can focus on God and focus on the people that He loves, which is everyone. And in them, you then can find your own welfare. For in the welfare of the people that you are serving, in the welfare of the city, in the place where you have been placed, you will find your own welfare. But Jeremiah doesn't stop there. He says this in verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So here's where it's interesting. He has to couch this message a little bit. He says, Settle in, be good citizens in Babylon, seek the welfare of this city, but don't be deceived. You're isolated there. Uh, You're apart from Jerusalem. You're apart from the rest of the people of God. So do not be deceived in this moment. There are other voices that are speaking to you. Do you feel a little bit over-communicated to in this time? I know I definitely have. It feels like everyone's competing for your focus, and you got to watch this video, and you got to listen to this podcast, and you got to uh, watch this newsreel, and of course you can't miss an episode of Tiger King or John Krasinski's Some Good News or whatever it is that's you know filling your eyeballs right now. And everybody's up on the internet telling you, like, hey, there's seven things that you can do to survive the coronavirus, or this is what you can do when you're stuck inside, or, or whatever. Uh, and it ends up just being a lot, a lot, a lot of noise. Part of the Christian life that we don't talk about all that often is the discerning of voices. And I'm not talking like, you know, uh, trying to decide, you know, spooky voices that you hear in your head at night or something or burning bushes or anything like that. But more so, uh, I'm talking about the fact that there are uh, good things to listen to and there are bad things that we should not be listening to. Like, if our only litmus when we hear something is like, does this make me feel good or does this not make me feel good? If that's our only deciding decision maker for how we decide whether something is true or good, we're going to be, like, really messed up. That's going to lead us to some really, really unhealthy places. That's going to allow us to be deceived, right? Like, think about this. Uh, You know, uh, they had the Parks and Rec reunion last week. Uh, where the the cast got back together and Ben Wyatt was sort of slipping back into his uh, jobless-like mode when he made the claymation thing. This is all on Parks and Recreation. I'm sorry if you haven't seen it. You probably should by now. But what's really interesting is, uh, if you remember that moment, I'll never forget it, like when he was actually unemployed uh, during the series, he like makes this like terrible, often claymation, or awful claymation doll thing, right? And this little like claymation movie. And uh, he is just so invested in it. He's spending multiple days And he ends up with like 10 seconds of footage. And when he finally watches it and realizes what a terrible waste it's been, he like covers his face in shame. And he's like, I compared it to Avatar. That's the moment that I remember this whole time. Because I've been there. When you're like the only voice that's speaking into something, it's easy to get so swayed and so off target to think that what you're doing is the right thing. It's so easy to convince yourself uh, that something is worthwhile, that something is meaningful, that something is good when it is not. 
And I think that's what Jeremiah was telling these captives. He was saying like, hey, uh, those guys, they may be telling you things that sound good. They may be telling you things that, you know, feel right, but they're not the truth. And right now, there are probably voices. And I, I say this because I feel like they've been in my life too. There's probably voices that are speaking into your life right now that are telling you things that are not true. And they might be from the external and they might even be from the internal. Right? Uh, maybe the voices are saying, hey, you just got to take care of yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. Maybe the voices are saying, hey, your ability to control your environment is how you're going to survive this well. Maybe there are voices saying that you need to self-indulge and self-care and over-drink and indulge in pornography or whatever that is. There are voices that are saying, hey, the solution to your happiness and your satisfaction and your survival and your thriving is all right here. I have the answer for for you. And the challenge, and this is not easy, but the challenge is to not listen to those voices. To take a step back, to especially compare them to scripture, and to be able to say, like, this is not the way that humanity was meant to live. It's in the darkness and the isolation of captivity where those voices end up being the loudest, where it is the toughest to be able to silence those voices. And there are a lot of ways that we can do this. I think uh, actually being a part of Christian community is actually one of uh, the best ways that you're able to fight this, but that's kind of challenging right now. The other two ways, and these are two things that you can actually do even more right now than maybe you could have before, is spending time in scripture and in prayer. Like the only antidote to being deceived, the only antidote to seeing the world incorrectly and seeing reality incorrectly is actually seeing it in truth. Immersing yourself in the world that God uh, shows us through his word. Immersing ourselves in the word or in the world that God shows us in our time of prayer. Submitting to the world where God is king and he on, is on his throne and his kingdom is coming to fruition. That's the only way to fight those false voices. And I would say that if, if you're someone right now who's sort of being held down, held captive by all of these false voices, if you've tried everything under the sun, if you've tried to watch all the stuff you can, if you tried to do all the stuff you can, if you tried to indulge in whatever you possibly can and found those things to be still wanting, found those things to be unsatisfying, can I just tell you right now that Jesus Christ is the only way out of that? That you know, anything else is just sort of like trying to grab on uh, to another vine and swing somewhere else. There's no real solution there. There's nothing solid. The only true and best way out of this is by listening to the voice of God. He's the only truth. He's the only way. Here's what I want to end with, and I, I don't normally do this because I know it's fraught with some sort of uh, some sort of problems exegetically, I guess you could say. But I made like a little paraphrase, and I think uh, I've been using it the past couple days to sort of like remind myself of uh, I think what God has for us during this time. This is sort of Josh's uh, unauthorized paraphrase of Jeremiah for us during this COVID crisis. Thus says your God, your God. To all you captives out there, settle in. This is life now, and it's not forever, but for right now it is. 
Don't press pause. Find a way to thrive in it. Build something that will last. Plant something that will grow. Build real and lasting relationships with those you can, whether it's over a screen or over a fence. Pray for those around you. For in their well-being you will find your own well-being. And don't listen to the voices that aren't mine. You can't self-care, you can't self-indulge your way through this. Do not be deceived. But instead, lean in and listen to my voice. Seek me and you will find me. I am truth and I love you. Let that be a message for you today. And as always, if you have any questions, any concerns, if God is doing something unique and special inside of you, please do not hesitate to reach out. Uh, you can use our website or any social media or anything like that. If you reach out, we will get back to you because we want to be with you even when we're apart. I love you guys and I believe in you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.